0: Hey everyone, I'm really excited to tell you about the High Performance app, where we take the lessons from our world and help you apply them into your own. Over the last few months, thousands of you have been helping us with feedback on how we can make this as brilliant as possible. And I'm delighted to tell you about a masterclass series that I've delivered on the app, which takes the lessons from over 200 of our high performance guests and makes them into easy, accessible, bite-sized exercises that you can take and apply in your world. So go to the App Store, get the High Performance app, and I'll look forward to seeing you on there soon.
1: Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, the award-winning podcast that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jake Humphrey, and alongside Professor Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, successes, and struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up today.
2: When I've played my best, I I can compete with the best and I just have a real belief in the people I work with and a real belief in myself to find the answers to get better, whichever way it is. Like, I'm not worried about playing someone who's 6'4 and hits it 340 down the middle. It's like, I'll beat them another way. The US Open, I probably wasn't really expected to win. It was the best I've ever played, you know, there's no doubt about that. In those final moments coming down the last five six holes when the pressure's on you need to be strong mentally not to kind of just wilt and i just remember looking up and it was like going towards the flag and i was just like oh my god this isn't like thank god like having such a good shot there and you know i remember being on the green and saying to like my my dad like we did it it's the beating everyone it is the winning it's every shot matters
1: So today we welcome to the High Performance Podcast, the golfer Matt Fitzpatrick, a guy born in Sheffield who went on to conquer the world by winning the US Open. Of course, also recently helping Europe to win the Ryder Cup. And look, if you're not a golf fan, that's great. I'm not huge into golf. I don't play golf. But this conversation was so interesting. This was a conversation with a guy all about finding his limits, whether that's in his personal life or in his sporting life, about setting targets, about dealing with pressure, about living with intention. But right now, let's get to it and welcome the golfer, Matt Fitzpatrick, to the High Performance Podcast. Well, Matt, welcome to high performance. Thank you. What is high performance to you? High performance to me is
2: competing or you know achieving, doing something at very
1: high level with success. I've been thinking about that for a while, to be honest. But that that's what I would say. So I'd love to know where the seeds of this kind of competitive mindset were planted. If you rewind the clock of twenty twenty five years, like what do you think? comes to you from your childhood that maybe set you up for this i
2: think majority of it was my dad to be honest even when we were little you know we were laughing that you know he used to i'd used to be in on goal and he would just tripped me up because he was obviously twice my size so hey, he just didn't want to lose and i think growing up with my dad and obviously a younger brother as well um once we sort of got to the age that we could both play sport and stuff You know, that was the the big thing. I think he he sort of pulled it out of us, really, and we we just always wanted to beat him.
0: So what sort of messages was he giving you then, Matt, at that young age?
2: I guess, like, when I was sort of 9, 10, 11, I was just sort of getting into the game, you know, playing. He wasn't, like, coaching me, but he was, in terms of technique, but he was kind of coaching me in what club to hit or where to aim and and little things like that. I think then once I started playing more competitions, it was more if you want to do this, we'll take you, we'll, you know, we'll ferry you around, we'll do what what you want to do, but it's on you to put in the work, you know. He was never super pushy, you got to go, you know, you need to stay there for two hours and do this. And um, both my parents, it was just like, if you want to do it, like, you know, you've got to put the work and effort into it. And I think there was, you know, for for me, there was always that, that I, I I did want to do that. And at the same time, I wanted to kind of, I just wanted to win.
1: What age are we talking about here then?
2: Probably like 15 onwards I'd say that where it really sort of started being like okay I wanted to get into the England boys England under 16 set up and all of a sudden you start you know my dad's like well these are the results you might probably going to need to get selected and uh, these are the tournaments you, you played I mean my dad's so like well researched in, in amateur golf stuff when we were younger it was like we play you, know, you, you should play this it's a great golf course or this is a great tournament and um, you know, just of his own interest, he's just gone out, out of his way to, to sort of find all the information, really.
0: There's a really interesting dynamic when we look at your background that, so your caddy Billy used that great phrase where he said, you look like an altar boy, but there's a real grit about you. Yeah. But also there's something around you taking comfort in the numbers and the stats because so, they don't lie, they yeah. tell you where you are. Yeah. And it sounds very much like they were the two elements that your dad was feeding into you. Make sure you know where you are, but you've got to have that resolve. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: For me, it's probably not until, I'd probably say 2019 is where it really took off in terms of the numbers and everything,
1: uh, where I really sort of got a lot deeper into it. So what are you now, 29? 29, yeah. So we're going back five years when you said I I went. So what happened then when you were 24, 25? What was the awakening at that moment? Yeah, I think two thousand
2: eighteen I'd I'd not really played great. Um, I'd played okay. I brought on my now trainer, Matt Roberts, and he used to work in football and, and he was like, ah oh, listen, you know, I think you need to change your practice, like how you do it and and this is, you know, small area of like skill acquisition and challenges and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, Okay, fair enough. Like, you know, what are you thinking? So we towards the end of the year we tried some of these challenges that he thought of and he. No offense, he, he didn't really know much about golf at that time. And um, what sort of things? We did like five distances, say 100, and then every five yards up until like 125. Uh, three balls at each distance, and you've got to try and hit it on on the numbers, basically. So nothing like super crazy, but uh, we have a piece of technology called TrackMan, which basically tracks that. So we just do it on the range. And then... I noticed that i had a bit of an improvement it didn't stand out massively but I, you know i felt like that was that was definitely better but then sort of to rewind back to 2015 it was the first year i was on tour and i wasn't very well not played well at the start of the season um and all of a sudden i was just like at home and i was like oh, i'm just gonna write out a plan and i wrote out this blueprint basically of how i envisaged how i would practice how i would you know do my daily drills or exercises literally everything that we talked about in 2018 was just on this piece of paper and like it wasn't until 2019 that I actually did something with it so I brought someone else in one of my coaches Steve Robinson who's more of like a performance guy from from my side he's a golf coach as well but he's purely like looks at the stats thinks about drills and challenges that we can do to you know hone in on certain skills that we need and that's kind of where it all kicked off 2019 onwards was was then really so yeah i would say that was kind of the awakening to like all of a sudden oh wow i'm missing a big part of the the game here but there's
0: that really interesting phrase matt that good is the enemy of great because you were relatively successful you were where you'd have dreamt of when you were 15 yeah and i'm interested in what kind of lessons you could pass on to our listeners then about how you do have the courage to break things even if it's not particularly broken
2: yeah and i think that's the the hard part for me I, I think i like i'm obsessed with trying to to get better with anything anything and everything like i'll look into it and my coach mike he always says that he's like it's such a great trait of mine it's, but it sometimes it can hinder me as well you know come too obsessed with something or searching a little bit too much and and i think it's been great to be able to make these changes and fortunately I feel like they've paid off. But I feel that I've been lucky to have the people around me that that have helped me do that in the right way. I think it'd be very easy and you look at other players maybe in the past that may have tried to try things, drastic changes. I you know I can't speak on behalf of them, but I don't think they've got maybe the best advice on it. Um, and I just feel the people around me have always given me, they've, they've always been honest They've always given me the, you know, what they think, and I, and I trust them. I think that's kind of why I've been able to maybe just push on, really.
0: So, can I pick up on that word trust? That if you're going to allow people into your inner circle that are going to challenge you and push you, what is it that they do that means that you will invest your trust in them?
2: Well, if you look at my team, they got me from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> Rule number one. Uh, yeah, but uh, no, no. I, I I think within the team, we, which I've always appreciated and, and, and I think is just invaluable is everyone's always been honest with me. There's no sugar coat in anything. It's not like, you know, it's just straight to the point. tells, tells me how it is, tells me if I've, I've, I've been an annoying little shit or, or I've been, you know, working, working hard really. And the people that I work with have had experience before I started working with them more and more. So, you know, that's obviously a big factor, but they work hard themselves to to get better as well. And I think that's kind of the the big thing that I feel everyone that within my team kind of works hard to, to make themselves better, really.
0: I'm interested in, when you talk about all the different inputs that you get, Matt, what do you think makes you so coachable?
2: I feel like, because I'm always just trying to get, get better. I'm sure my coaches probably think I'm a pain in the arse, to be honest, because I'm like asking questions, oh, what about this and what about that? But I think I've, got better at that over time too. I think it's very easy in golf to be very reactive. And I still have those days where you come off the course and it's not working out and it's like, well, what about this? We need to try this. And um, But certainly conversations I've had with Mike when I have finished the round, I've tried to be much sort of calmer, a bit clearer in my thinking and tried not to be too reactive, tried to come up with a, a simple plan that we can kind of execute for maybe the next day or if it's the following week. I think that's been a big thing. I think it's just me in the past. I feel like I've come off sometimes or even in practice weeks and it's like I get in a bit of a state. It's like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and I need to do this and what do you think of this? And it's, you just, you end up just confusing yourself rather than giving, you know, two or three things that you can stick to. Can you
0: give us an example of when you've adopted this new mindset then?
2: I think certainly over the last few months, to be honest, um, struggle with driver, always been a strength of mine and I struggled this year with it and literally it was only about four or five weeks ago it was like the Saturday I played in in Memphis on in the first playoff event and um, we basically said all right okay three things that we're going to do for the next however many weeks um, or or basically just stick to those three things and and it should improve fortunately it all did (laughs) Um, but I think it's more like I I have such high expectations of myself and high expectations of what I want to achieve. It's very easy for me to kind of get worked up about that when it's not happening. And I look at other players that are playing well week in, week out, and it's like, well, you know, I want to do that. And I'm trying to almost get there a bit too quick, and that's when I feel like I've got a short fuse sometimes, and that's where I've had to take a step back, coming off the golf course and try to have a bit clearer thinking and have like a very calm conversation with Mike and... And he's fantastic at it because he understands the mind like so well. He's very into um, Steve Peter's chimp paradox and and that sort of stuff. And that's what another reason for me why why he's very, very, very good at his job.
1: So we've spoken a fair bit about the kind of physical things that you might have done or learned or improved. Let's have a conversation then about the mental side of golf. When did you realize that you were going to get involved in a sport where you lose an awful lot more than you win? (laughs) Once, like
2: I was, sort of 18 19 i had some really good results winning the us amateur now all of a sudden these professional doors open it's like hang on a minute like this you're doing this for a living like you need to make the cut to make to make money and you need to get a card to be able to play the whole season next year that there's loads of these things all of a sudden that you enter your mind and i felt very lucky that actually looking back i wasn't Ever really worried about that? I, I never caught myself like, oh god, I, you know, I need to make this core. I need to make this like. And I think I, I think that was probably from my parents, just because I felt like they were would always look after me, really, which was probably a bit unfair on them. But I certainly think growing up that they just instilled that, you know, you gotta work hard and, and you'll get there in the end. And I think that's kind of was, or it still is, like always my my thought, really.
0: So, what would you say was the big difference between the world of amateur golf and professional golf then, when you first made that transition?
2: I think amateur golf, it's kind of like, you know, you don't have a great result and it's like, well, it's okay. There's, you know, there's next week. It doesn't really hinder you that much. Professional golf, you know, you miss a couple of cuts in a row. It's like panic stations almost. It's like, right, well, okay, I need to do something because I can't do that and get to where I want. Am I gonna lose my card? As, you know, what how am I gonna to afford to play the next week? And I felt very lucky that what I did achieve in my amateur career kind of put me in a good position going into my professional career. I was, you know, lucky enough to have great sponsors at the time and and didn't have to worry about, you know, travel costs and entry costs and all that sort of stuff. So I think there is just a big shift in mindset and I feel like I got lucky in that I never felt that change.
1: I just felt like it was always just gonna happen almost right it's interesting that isn't it that, that it didn't derail you at any point and you weren't kind of overwhelmed by the fact that you were a pro suddenly playing alongside like these legends of the game was there any struggles because it's you're making
2: it sound easy like- I know I, I know and and the, 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 that's the weird thing I think obviously I'm very numbers driven but like I look at like my Stats effectively, and that the the graph is kind of a it's like a shallow incline, which is which is great. There has been drops in, in performance, like there's no doubt about that, and that's just always going to happen. But I feel like my first year on tour was probably the biggest learning experience because, like, I started off the year and didn't play very well, and it's like, well, now I do need you know getting closer to the end of the season, running out of tournaments almost, and and then all of a sudden something happened and I I couldn't even tell you what it was I just started having a couple good results and ended up keeping my card and then all of a sudden it's like well now I'm safe then I ended up kicking on some more and I think for me it was just kind of around 17 and 18 2017 and 18 I think that was kind of the time where I was playing well but like I I wasn't kicking on as much as I, I wanted to you know I was looking at players around me that I knew and I wasn't performing well enough in in the U.S. and that was obviously where where the game was going and that's where I felt like something needed to change.
0: So when you talk about this sense of expectation that you had of yourself, how did you combat the idea that maybe you had just found your limit? You know, like I can imagine that for some players, they get there and the culmination of being on the tour is enough and complacency then kicks in as long as I can maintain this. And you seem to be somebody that was constantly striving for the next target, the next challenge.
2: Yeah, I had a funny conversation with Mike after uh, after the US Open. I was like, it was obviously such a high and I've kind of come off it and I'm like, I almost feel flat. You know, I felt like, what if I, you know, I almost didn't want to go and practice. I almost didn't want to play the rest of the tournaments for the year. I just kind of wanted to do, enjoy it. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, well, you know, will I ever get that? That bug back to go and practice hard and work hard and came back like three months later, three months later or something when I wasn't playing as well. But I think it's just like always been in my nature that I just feel like I can compete with with the best when when I've when I've played my best, I I can compete with the best. And
1: to me, it's trying to get more of that out of me more regularly. Really, and I know people make a big thing about. Noting down sort of what do they say every shot he's ever played, he's written it in one of the books. Right? I'm interested in what that does for you because it feels to me like you've got a load of safety nets. You know, we've spoken about what your parents provide for you and the people around you provide you with this sort of safety net. Um, I know you've recently got engaged. There's another one. Then it it's almost like you're great at putting these things in that just almost give you a bit of protection. Am I reading that right? Yeah, yeah. No, I would say so. I, I think.
2: Like I say, I'm obsessed with the numbers because I just feel like if I know where I currently am or know where I am at all times, I know I need to get better than that or what do I need to do to get better than that? And then it's like, well, how are we going to do that? And I feel like that's a combination of all the team where we think of the ideas to get better. That is why really I I keep all the, the information and the data and look at it just because I feel like that tells me where I am at all times and tells me okay well I've got this how much to go or or I need to change this I need to do that. So can I ask when you first wrote down those numbers? I've kept stats ever since I was on tour like on the course so 2015 even in my amateur days before but I I don't know where they are but 2015 to to today I've got my stats uh, from just tournament play but 2019 onwards is when i started recording like my practice challenges and and stuff like that so is every shot now like gets P- pretty, pretty much. much yeah yeah anytime that i'm doing like a performance sort of challenge really uh that's that's what we record i'm not recording like every shot after i've hit a technical you know just a regular range shot
0: and how often do you go back to revisit these,
2: well, we're kind of in the process at the minute of trying to pull it all together in one place and be able to compare practice and and tournament play, seeing if there's any correlation. You know, when I practice well here, does that influence this? Or, or we're trying to do that at the minute. Basically, we've got five years of data, and as Steve, my coach, says it's like, it feels like we're just collecting data for data's sake now, whereas we need someone to go through it and see what they can find. And I'll be devastated if there's nothing, but I'm convinced there's at least one thing. There's got to be one what, thing. What do you think it will show? Honestly, I've got no idea because I just feel like there's so many variables. Yeah. There's so many variables. I, I mean, the one thing that I, I feel like I came up with the other day was noting down when I had any technical changes in my swing or or anything like that. And then finding the date, seeing where I was at with my game, and then look a week later, two, three, four weeks, seeing like when that intervention, when it either kicked in, did it improve? Did it not improve? Because I have kept notes over the last five years of what what I did in my lessons with, with Mike. Um, so I feel like that's, you know, that's another area that we can look into.
0: I mean, it's interesting. We interviewed Matthew McConaughey, the Oscar-winning actor, who has got 30 years' worth of data through his diaries, and what he said he does is, when things start to go wrong or awry, he goes back to the data and says, when it was going well, what was I doing? What was my sleeping? What was my diet like? Who was I hanging around with? And that allows him to see where where he's maybe come off course a little bit. And I'm interested, do you think, like, there's... A killer start that, you know, when I nail that start, everything else tends to follow.
2: I I do feel like there could be, yeah. Like I say, there's so many variables that go into practice and and tournament play, but everyone has a blueprint of how their game is. So, you know, my strengths are driving and putting, other guys might be, I am playing short game. But I feel like I'm taking a guess here. If I practice and my driving's good and my putting's good, probably going to lead to good results on the course in in those areas i don't think it's quite as black and white as that but i definitely think there's something in it
0: so how much do you play to your strengths and how much do you try to mitigate for your weaknesses then
2: again that's the that's the balance that we're looking at you know we we have the breakdown of how much time we're spending in each area and and what it is that we need to do to improve in each area for me this year my driving Normally a strength is what's let me down. I would say the last month we spent much more time on, on driving. Um, so you'd think other areas might might drop. But me and Micah were saying it's like spinning plates, you know. You spend all this time on one and one's probably like dropping off. And that's the annoying thing about golf is there's just so many things to keep an eye on.
1: So all of this is about you, right? It's about your stats, your numbers, <clears throat> your shots, your preparation. What room have you left for Watching other people and asking questions of what others do, I, I really don't like to ask
2: other golfers. I, I really don't, and and people often have said that to me. You know, or you know, like Billy said, "Oh, speak to Luke Donald about his short game, or speak to um, whoever whoever it is about that." But they swing it differently. Their feelings are different. Their technique is different. I don't feel like how it can apply to me. Things like course preparation or diet or ideas on how to play the game. Yes, I, I would get it. But anything that's like probably physical, I, I wouldn't want to get involved because it's like not my its like not my pattern. Um, and, and I just don't, I feel really uncomfortable with that stuff because I don't feel like I, I want to get into
1: bad habits from someone else. So have you gone to any goal? Like, I don't know, I look at someone, let's take Tiger Woods as a great yeah. right example, an elite golfer decade after decade. He must have some mental advice that he can hand to other golfers. Yeah, it almost feels a shame not to no, tap into I, that I, or Rory I, or something. I,
2: I agree. I agree. And and I think um, I think it's funny for me personally. I think when you're actually involved in the game and you see these people, you play alongside them and you get to know them. You know, you understand the character, you understand how they are in these moments. I feel like when you're playing in the last group coming down this, the final stretch and, you know, you see the strengths and you see the weaknesses, in, in my opinion, and just like they see my strengths and weaknesses as well. And I think everyone would rate themselves as, as better than everyone else. You know, that's golf's a very selfish individual sport. And I would say that we all put ourselves on a pedestal above everyone else when we feel like we're playing our best, I think, anyway, certainly at the top level. And for me, I find it hard to kind of... I also find it a bit odd when you're trying to play against these guys and be like, oh, what do you think about this? Do I, for them to share that advice, I think, is is difficult, you know. I, I probably wouldn't dream of asking Tiger like, any mental advice because... I'd be scared to death to ask him for one but also I don't think he'd tell me and I always think that I always wonder like are you getting the truth what, like, almost like they tell you yeah they tell some, you something yeah. that's a bit ni- nicer or simpler than actually what
1: they're really what, doing right. positive yeah you, you've won one of the most famous golf tournaments in the world why would you be scared to go and speak to Tiger Woods
2: it's Tiger Woods isn't it <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I could have a conversation with Tiger but I just feel like Again, it's the same deal, you know. He's playing again. I mean, he's not playing the minute, but he's playing against me. Why? Why would he reveal that? Like, you know, I, I people ask my advice. I, I'll be honest. I don't tell them the truth. Like, I well, I tell them the truth, but like, but not the whole a very dumbed down ver Yeah, very very
1: dumbed down version. Because I noticed yeah. when you spoke about our issues with my driver, so we focused on three areas. You weren't, you didn't tell us what the three areas <laughs> no, were. No, no, <laughs> that no. That was on purpose, right? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs>
0: See, what I found interesting watching some of the documentaries about you though, Matt, is that some of the big alphas that are on on the American tour that were quite loud and brash and very domineering characters and you were sort of the opposite of that. You were almost quite quiet, keeping your head down, just getting on with it. And I'm interested in, how do you block out the noise from those dominant characters to make sure you can just focus on your game rather than being distracted?
2: I think it's just, again, it's having the, the trust in doing what works well for me. People laugh at the, all the numbers and stats that I that I take down. You know, it's Today. it's like not in like a nasty way, but it's like it that's like it's yeah, it's like a bit of a, a running joke. Oh, Fitz, he's probably got a spreadsheet out, which Amongst, always, it always makes players. me laugh. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it always makes me laugh. No, not really. No, no, not really. Um and it always it always makes me laugh because like to me it's like, well, I feel like I've got an edge over everyone mm. because I do that. And that's like that's like my thing. Just like they might think something else that they do is, is an edge as well. But I just have a real belief in the people I work with and the real belief in myself to find the answers to get better, whichever way it is. Like I'm not worried about playing someone who's 6'4 and hits it 340 down the middle. It's like I'll beat them another way.
0: So you know when you walk into the next hole and... Again, I'm often intrigued. As take us into that conversation of when you're walking together with them, are you talking to each other? What's a yeah,
2: conversation it, it's like? It's like it's polite chit chat, is know? it? Yeah, it's it's like, oh, what's your schedule coming up? And oh, are you going anywhere on holiday? It's just like polite chit chat. No sledging. <laughs> no sledging. No, no, never. That's like <laughs> the it's swing non... looks a bit off today. Yeah, guys, exactly. Exactly. Got a few issues there's there's not what's there's happening? none of that. But I mean, you know, Billy always tells me. Seve always used to say, "Shake hands on on the tee with the guy," and it'd be like, "Play well," and couldn't mean it less. You know, it, it's like it, it's everyone always does it. They always say, "Oh yeah, play well." Can we? Do we really mean it? I mean, you want to you know, win, right? Yeah. You want to. Yeah, everyone wants
1: to beat each other, yeah. Let's talk then about Billy, because I know it's a special relationship that you both have, and it needs to be really between golfer and caddy. How would you describe your relationship? Uh, I think we've got a a very good
2: relationship. I think I respect Billy a hell of a lot given what he's done in his career, his experience, his knowledge. Sometimes we don't always see eye to eye and and I have a different theory on what he has. He's taught me a lot. I think I've taught him a lot. I think the biggest thing is that we just seem to have a lot in common. Like, you know, we're, we're kind of both from working class families, I guess, and just like very down to earth. Both love football, and I just think like we just get on really well, and just you know, for the most part, I'd say we just enjoy our time out there. Really,
0: and what's the biggest thing he's taught you?
2: I wouldn't necessarily say it's taught me. I think it's what how we work together. I think he's very straight to the point. He's very direct. It's you know, it's it's like there's never um in an r, and it's like it's 180 r uh, seven nine. That's it. You know, it's whereas I've had caddies previously where it's like. Well, it could be this, but maybe that. And what about there? And it's like you—you you end up like having too many thoughts in your head. Then you're not committed to the shot, and then it's probably a poorer shot. I think I've learned a lot from that. Being more, you know, just straight to the point. And and he's very honest in his feedback and in what he says to me about my game, how he sees it, my game. His conversations with the coaches. He's very lucky. Lee Westwood's arguably one of the best drivers of the ball of all time. Sevi Palesteros, one of the best, you know, probably short games of all time. And Sergio Garcia is probably one of the best iron players of all time, which is painful for me because he's like, I hit all these other shots and he's like, what is that? You know, because he's seen those guys. Yeah. So it's, it's tough because sometimes he's got those colored glasses on where he's, you know, but it's very
1: valuable, his feedback, what he, what he gives. And obviously, as you just mentioned, he's worked with the best, right? So we've discussed the fact that you're a humble guy. Are you humble enough to say to him, What would Seve have done in this situation? What would he have played here? No. You
2: wouldn't? I don't play the same style of shots like Seve or I don't have the same technique as Lee or or Sergio. And like, what's going to be, again, kind of going back to numbers, like what's optimal for me? What's the right thing for me? What do I practice? You know, there's multiple times this year where he said, oh, I, I see this shot. And I'm like, well, I don't really practice that. So I don't feel comfortable doing that. I'm going to do it this one instead, it's, which again, you know, he, he totally understands.
0: And how do you agree to disagree then when that happens? What's your strategy?
2: I think sometimes sometimes I could be better with that rather than just agreeing to, to what, he, what he says. I think we do have very good conversations if we're unsure. And if I'm kind of, again, I'm kind of looking at the numbers side of it and it's like, well, if the flag's at the back of the green and there's water over the green you take the club that is almost physically impossible that can go that far rather than trying to really hit it close. Say, three out of ten, you could hit it really close, but the other seven could go in the water. It's like, sort of give and take. And I feel like we have those conversations pretty openly and, and, and well.
1: And what room do you leave for instinct? I think it's
2: half and half. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I do think it's half and half. I think, you know, hitting the golf shot itself is... Yes, you're trying to hit these positions, but like, if you're on the golf course thinking, well, okay, I've got to go here and here and here and here, you ne- you're never going to hit a good shot. So I think we to- often talk about doing these rehearsals and drills and technique stuff on the range. But then when I go on the golf course, it's like, just you just play, you know, you just, you're not even, you're not thinking about that. You just, you just play. And then at the same time, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, what's this? optimal play here where what's the optimal place to hit it here what about here so i i do think it, it it's it is a combination
1: today's high performance podcast is in association with ag1 and actually the last couple of weeks has been a great reminder to me about why ag1 is so important for me because i've been on the road the fact i've been living out of a suitcase i haven't had my routine means actually i have missed taking my ag1 in the mornings and i've honestly noticed the difference. I've had a drop in energy. I haven't felt great because for me, AG1 is my daily nutritional insurance. It's good for my energy. It's great for my guts. It's full of multivitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics. It's all my key health products in just one drink. And I've got a great offer for you from AG1. If you're looking for a simple, effective investment for your health you can get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com forward slash high performance. That's drinkag1.com forward slash high performance to try AG1 for yourself.
3: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: And you use that lovely phrase before around, before I commit to the shot. And I'm interested, what's the process then from the moment you arrive on the T between taking in all this data and information until the moment that you choose to, I want to commit to this completely.
2: Yeah, we, we talk about, uh, you know, first things like, okay, what club is it off the tee? All right, it's Driver. Where's our line? Okay, it's that TB tower. All right, where's the wind? It's off the right. Okay. And then, then for me, the, once I've got that information from Billy and obviously a little bit input myself. Then it's like okay, it's over to me. It's like, okay. Well, how am I going to get the ball there? So then it's like okay, I know what I, you know. I know what club it is. I know what what I'm doing now. I've just got to get it there. And then it's kind of like into my routine. And, and then, what's that? And Would there. you tell us? about So that? my routine is like two practice swings behind the ball. Look at where you know I'm trying to finish it. Step in there, aim my club face. Have another look. Set up. Have another look, and then get and then go. I've had that same routine you know, for, for for years now. In the heat of the moment, having that consistency of doing the same thing, you know, breathing the same amount of times, whatever it might be, I think that helps the clarification of, you know, what you're going to do.
1: And in those moments, does self-doubt exist?
2: Is there that cheeky little dissenting voice in your head? Yeah, definitely, definitely. If there's, if there's water on the left, it's always like, oh, don't hit it left, you know? But I think when you're playing well, it's kind of, Less of an issue because you just feel like you know where the ball's going to go. I think when you're not playing so well, it's almost a bit like, well, on the last hole, I hit it left, and on the last, two holes, I hit it right. Like, where's this one going? You know, I think when you're not playing well, it's kind of, it's obviously much harder. And I think that's kind of the big issue. Um, I think when you are playing
1: well, it's a little bit, a little bit easier to commit. And so much work has gone into your game, physically and mentally. You've got great people around you. You clearly work incredibly hard to get yourself to this point. But before you won the US Open, there was something that was not quite right. And I've read that Billy stepped in to help. Would you mind sharing that story with us?
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of a mix of the two, really. Finished 21, played okay, didn't play great. Felt like my irons were the big letdown. That's where I was missing a big, big part of my game. So we basically changed my technique with my irons, um, me and Mike, and he wanted me to basically be a little bit straighter in my left arm, which did a couple of things to, to help me have more control, basically. Practiced it in January, felt pretty good. Then basically went on a run between January and May of like maybe seven top tens out of 10 events or something it was just like my best run of golf that I've I've ever played like I just knew that I was playing really well everything felt really solid but then I was putting myself in these positions because I was playing so much better but nothing was really going my way I wasn't kind of getting in the final groups to contend on Sunday it was like I was having Average day Saturday, then maybe a good day Sunday to finish top 10 rather than kind of being in there with a chance to win. So I was getting frustrated with it really. And and I think one week was probably one week too far for Billy because I was complaining, oh, how's that done that? And I can't believe that's a lie. And this never goes right for us. And I missed the court, didn't play very well. And uh, literally I'm at home like probably the week, week after and my parents are at home as well and I get a call off Billy, and I'm like, Billy never calls me in a week, this, I'm like, oh God, like, so I go upstairs to take it, and he's like, oh, listen, you know, I, I really didn't enjoy last week, um, you know, you were moaning a lot, this, and it was negative, and you just gotta let it go, you, you know, you've gotta have a better attitude on the golf course, and that's, you know, that's that's the difference, That's gonna, that's what's holding you back. Again, there's the honesty, and i've got to accept that it's mm. not like did you try
1: and fight this conversation no
2: not really i i, I knew it was I, I knew it was coming because i almost felt myself had been like it previous weeks right. and I, in my head i'm like oh, you know i'll I'll be okay i was kind of just batting it off a little bit but i kind of knew it was in there and then after that i was i was great like I, you know i I'm really made a, a concerted effort on, on the golf course to just be a little bit calmer, a little bit getting less worked up about it. And I just felt like it really, it really, really paid off. Um and just obviously I think it was like probably what, four or five tournaments later I won the US Open. I think it's four tournaments later. So So yeah. that
0: reminds me of a conversation we had with the British tennis player Johanna Contact. And she spoke about the input of a psychologist called Juan Cotto who saw that her attitude was probably what Billy was referring to. Mm. And he gave a really simple formula where he said, uh, struggle times resistance equals pain. So he said, so when things are not going well, when you fight it and say it's not fair and Mm. that's not good enough, that increases the pain that you feel. Whereas if you reduce the struggle, struggle, you reduce the pain and you can actually enjoy the experience. And one of the comments that I heard somebody make about you early on in your career is, you need to get better at moving on from a bad shot, a mistake. So you need to almost reduce the struggle that you go through. So what lessons and techniques could you share with us about how you've learned to move on from a mistake or a cock-up?
2: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I, I wouldn't say I have fully learned my lesson. Um, I, I would say that uh, me and Mike talk about this a lot. I, I work with a psychologist and it's kind of mainly based on on uh, chimp paradox basically. And Mike would class me as like a C minor student, <laughs> which uh, always makes me laugh. But he's probably right. I, I probably don't necessarily work quite hard enough on, on that side of it. I think I have periods where I'm very good, and I have periods where I'm not so good. I I just find it hard to sit down and actually do some sort of self thinking of about, you know, how I would be better almost. And having worked with with the guy that Robbie, that I work with, like I definitely feel better after I talk to him more like regularly to be able to kind of just. Get things off my chest and talk about how you know how I'm feeling, how my game's playing. But at the same time, in my own mind, I I often try and think, well, what is the what's the plan? What's the three month, six month, year plan? And at the end of the day, like as much as I try to buy into this, like it is only golf, and I've already created a a great life for myself. And it's trying to look at that side of the perspective rather than just trying to beat myself up all the time.
0: So. If we use the example of Johanna, she said that she came up with ideas of should write reminders on the tennis racket of just look up at the blue sky or yeah. smile a bit more, and it was simple things I to hate remember. people to...
2: tell me smile, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: of course. But for her, it, it was more about having that sense of perspective. Well, yeah.
2: yeah, because I don't tell people in the office to smile more. You know what I mean? Like the the people who come to watch golf tournaments or they tweet at you or we were laughing about on the plane this morning like some of the other uh rider cup lads you know it's like oh you, you should smile more it's like well you know we don't come into whatever industry you do and and like oh you know you look a bit miserable today like smile more it's that 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 is a bit annoying but um i i get it me hitting it in the rough or in the water is a very tiny yeah. problem compared to
1: I think there's also a random thing if you're hitting it in the rough and then got a great big beaming smile on your yeah, face well, yeah. and <laughs> then that, that, there's a whole other thing,
2: issue <clears> and that, <throat> I think that is my I think my, my big concern that I've, I've spoke about before to the people around me is like I worry that if I have this come off now I all of a sudden have this persona of like ah, it's alright it's, it's only golf people be like oh, he doesn't care anymore like you know he, sure. he, he doesn't care
1: there, maybe you're are you protecting yourself a bit then when you, when you have these kinds of conversations where if you become easy and comfortable with the game of golf, then you become easy and comfortable with losing? Yeah. And I wonder whether you just don't allow yourself to go there. Yeah.
2: I, yeah, I mean, I had a, a chance to win recently and I was absolutely gutted that I didn't win. I just didn't want to talk for the... I finished, got back to the hotel room just didn't say a word to my both now fiance literally didn't say a word and she's like you know it's fine like you know you, you played so well it was closed just a couple bad hole, blah blah and she was fantastic about it like she was so nice and my parents came in because we were going for dinner and they were you know it was so nice but at the same time in my mind I'm just thinking you, you don't get it like I wanted to win like I really want you know what I mean it's
1: what is it that you really want and is it that you want to be the best is it that you want the I guess it's no longer about the check. You've had a lot of those in your career and that's fantastic. So is it the silverware? What's the thing? It's the beating everyone. It is the winning. It's
2: Before I won the US Open, I remember specifically Brooks Kepka winning majors and seeing him kind of do stuff in the media and various other bits and pieces. And, and I thought to myself a little bit, I'll be honest, you know, I you know, wouldn't mind a little bit of that. That's quite cool and looks enjoyable. Then I won the US Open did the Netflix and things have changed like drastically, you know, go out to, to dinner. Like, I've never had this in my life. Go out to dinner, people come up, oh, can I have a picture? Can you sign this? And it's never a problem. I don't mind. Everyone's, I've been very lucky. Everyone's so polite to me and, and, and great, but it's, it's bizarre for me. It's really is bizarre, you know, n- never growing up with anything like that, never been in that sort of limelight. And now like you're halfway through your dinner and someone's coming over and it's just, It's really, really odd. And I think it's been a little bit hard for my mum and dad because, you know, they've never experienced it too and they're getting things left, right and centre.
0: But when we watched you on that Netflix documentary after you'd won the Open, you almost looked a little bit underwhelmed and I was reminded of when we spoke to Sir Chris Hoy. And he said that winning was everything when he won the gold medal and he forgot to to celebrate afterwards because that wasn't what he was focused Mm. on. It was just the crossing that finish line first. And that was the feelings that I got when I saw you walk into your group of family and friends. You almost looked a little bit underwhelmed by the experience. Yeah, I think
2: I wouldn't say I was underwhelmed. I Like, you know, best day of my life, you know, in my opinion, it's what I'd worked for, what I grew up trying to do and you know i remember being on the green and saying to like my my dad like you know we we did it you know and it's like it was just yeah it, it was just an unbelievable moment for me but like at, at the same time what comes after it is kind of all new and t- and it's it, it's kind of sometimes hard to get your head around that it's like this is the new norm and you you've got to you got to accept that you know it can't just be like Oh, you know, go away, leave me alone. It's you can't just be a recluse, you know what I mean? What did you learn in that period that would be valuable for our listeners? I think the biggest thing was time. Um I think I was playing so well at that period of time and and it, you know, the time the game was like felt easy. And I felt like I could just recreate that. And then all of a sudden it was kind of like you have a period of where you're not playing so well. And it's like, well, now what? Like, all of a sudden, the bug came back. And it's like, oh, I want to I want to work hard and stuff like that. And I think it is, sometimes it is, you just got to give it some time where to... Where did it go, though? Like, have, you wor- have you worked out where that bug went when you were I think it was, the US Open yeah, champion? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it was just that I wanted to enjoy what I'd achieved, I think. For for a longer period of time than I was allowed. Yeah. Because I, I won. I had two weeks off. And then I was playing two tournaments, then three weeks off, then three tournaments. And, like, the season's still going, you know. The season doesn't stop for you. It's like I still had to compete and there was still a lot to play for. But even though there was a lot to play for, it was, like, hard to, to get up for it almost because it was like, well, no, I've done what I needed. Yeah. I want to just... Chill.
1: How, how old were you we at the time? 27, 27, 27. We mentioned at the start you play a losing sport. You know, you've been on tour for a number of years and you've won you know, two major competitions. Like, it could be two or three years till you get that feeling again. So, what's the motivation? What keeps you coming back for more? To win every week,
2: yeah. I enjoy finding any way that I can get better, listening to podcasts, trying to, re- you know, reading books, um, speaking to other people in the industry, outside the industry. For me, like it's enjoyable to, to try and get better. Um, and particularly at my age, I feel like I've got still plenty of years left of my best golf. And, and that's where I want to, you know, I want to get to, I want to get to world number one and win more majors. And I can't just, Coast for the next few years. Like I, I feel like I've got to excel still. So
1: would you answer this question with total honesty? Right. Bearing in mind, we've already established that you're one of the most humble guests we've ever had on the podcast. Right? If 100 is the very greatest you can ever be, and zero is the day you were when you first picked up a golf club, where are you?
2: Seventy-five, probably eighty. I still feel like there's 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 plenty in the in the tank. It's exciting, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I want to have a really, really big off season this this year, Um, and like I feel this year has been a weird year for me. I don't feel like it's been my best, but I feel like I've made strides in certain areas, and I feel like if I can kind of match those strides, those gains with where I was in like May, June, two thousand twenty two, then then that's like a you know that's almost the the finished finished product really so just gonna take time
0: but you also got a text message didn't you after winning the open from probably one of the greatest sportsmen yeah. of all time yeah would you tell us who that was but equally yeah did you get the chance to follow up and ask them how they'd sustained success
2: yeah the the text was from michael jordan which made me laugh because he actually texted me again after i won earlier this year and uh it was a different number, and I replied, "Oh, you know, thank you very much. Sorry, who's this?" And he was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." He's like, "Oh, sorry, it's it's MJ." I was like, "Oh my god, I feel so embarrassed." You know, I I've not spent a lot of time with him, but I'm a member of his of his club in Florida, and the guy that coaches him a little bit, he's learned a lot off, off Michael, and he shared some of that with me. I, I've not, like I say, I've not spent a lot of time with him, but his big thing was practicing with intensity. It's like. Every shot matters, and that's one thing that we've tried to add into practice away from tournaments. It's harder at tournaments because you've only really got the range, and where I'm a member, there's loads of different. You know, you can hit a shot here and then walk over there and and hit a shot to a different green, and and it just we can create the intensity by having it. If you don't complete it, start again. If you don't complete, it, start again. And 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 it's things like that that I think was so big for for him. And that's what you know. I've been told by by the coach at the Grove, Darren, uh, Darren May, and and I think that is a fantastic lesson in that you know every shot has an intention and it's intense and there's a you know there's a consequence for it. And I think it's it's hard to have that in golf because it's easy to just drag another ball. out I'll try again. But you know if you've only got five shots, right? You got five shots. You need to hit hit it here the first one. If you don't. You, you're done you know and, yeah. and it's having those things like a task that has a consequence it just I feel like you then have that intensity and that's more like on on the golf course
0: I love that I remember reading something similar about Marcello Lippi the Italian football coach that when matches went to penalty shootouts he'd he'd ask each player what's your intention and they'd have to say something like, it's going to go top, right, and corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's no room for error then. You, your technique's good enough. You know where you're going. Yeah. Just do it. But that one question forced them to have an intentionality have an intention, and then yeah. just go out there and execute. Yeah. So do you do that on practice where you go, this is going to go 150 yards just to the right?
2: Yeah, that's what we'll try to do. Um, I still do, I feel sometimes I get lazy with that and and that's like, you know, Steve tends to pull me a lot on that, you know, not having the the same behaviors as I do on the golf course. And it's one of those things that if we can create those behaviors in practice with the intensity, like you say, of saying, okay, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm going to do. Then when you get on the golf course, it's, it's a piece of cake. You know, the aim of the game that me and Steve talk about is always making practice way harder than than tournament play.
0: So how do you do that then? I mean, there's a famous story of Tiger Woods, his dad shouting abuse at uh, him. Yeah, yeah. Key moments obviously a big it? thing.
2: I mean Um <clears throat> I'm very fortunate again, the, the Grove facility is is second to none. There's there's all sorts of different things you can do. But, you know, we might do a challenge of, right, okay, you've got to hit it within this zone. You've got to hit a shot within this zone. Then you go and walk twenty yards over there to the green and you've got a hole of from ten feet and then you go back, you hit another one in the zone. How many can you do in a row? Or what's the proximity of those shots? And, you know, you keep a record of that, right? Okay, this time can we beat that whilst doing it? Because, like I keep saying, you know, you're just not hitting seven iron after seven iron after seven iron. Every single shot is different. And you need to have that that pressure of, it feels shit when you don't complete the challenge. And it's... It, we do a great one with the with the driver um, that I don't want to give away but uh, it, it's something that I was really struggling on. I didn't really look into it as much as I probably should have but two, three months ago I was struggling to complete it and I knew I wasn't driving it very well and, and, and I did struggle to complete it and then Steve came over to see me last week in, in New Jersey and I did it in three attempts like it was just bang, bang, bang and we, I'd done it and I was like yeah that's a really good sign obviously for me because I feel like that's a long way different from where I was two months ago
0: so one of our favourite questions we like asking guests is if you were to divide up your golf game between physical so like the technical stuff that you've just described and the mental side of it what proportionality would you offer to each?
2: everyone's like "Oh, golf's 99% mental yeah, yeah. And I, would, I would say like 70 physical 30 mental it doesn't matter how good you are mentally if you if you can't hit the ball straight you know it doesn't matter but in those final moments coming down the last five six holes when the pressure's on you need to be strong mentally not to
1: kind of just wilt and before we move to our quick five questions i'd like to finish there about mental strength in the moment that matters because we've spoken for the last hour and a bit about preparation to play golf, right? There's one thing that you can't recreate anywhere and that is the pressure of winning a tournament with a shot, right? Mm -hmm. And I appreciate, again, you don't want to reveal everything, (laughs) but I would love it if you would share with us what you were going through mentally when you played those final few shots to win the US Open.
2: Yeah, I think
1: during that time, once I got to about
2: 14... I was obviously knew I was back in it. 15 made a birdie, was one clear with two to play. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I was playing really, really well. Like, I, I just, it was the best I've ever played, you know, there's no doubt about that. Like, under the circumstances, and um, I was just hitting it exactly where I wanted. Everything about it was just like perfect, really. But, I didn't feel nervous. Like, I felt more nervous two weeks ago in Switzerland than I did when I was at the US Open. And th- there's no, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And I just don't know if, because in Switzerland, I was probably expected to win, or some of these other tournaments I've played where I've been uncontested, I was expected to do well. The US Open, I probably wasn't really expected to win. I'd obviously played well and had success at that course before, but I still feel like that. Wills Altouris who's American, it's an American crowd, it's kind of like, I was almost a bit the underdog and I was just so focused and committed on on how well I was playing. I just think it was kind of, it just felt as cliche as it is, like I was just like in the zone. And, and I think I look back to that a lot and compare it to some of my poor rounds and every single shot that we had, I go through the round, I've been through the round multiple, multiple times. Every single one was like a hundred percent commitment. There was not there was doubt on one shot, and that was the tenth hole, and I hit a really poor shot outside of that. There was no doubt on any single shot I hit all day. And I think back to it's very rare. I feel like you get rounds that that happen like that because they would you know we'd have a yardage, or oh, it's this club, it's perfect, and it's just like, bang. I think that was the the big difference that day and coming down the final stretch it was like, oh, I just go, bang. It was just very like, see it, do it.
1: And did you allow your brain to go to the young Matt, be yes. driven
2: course to course with his dad? And Yes, yes, 100%, a, a, a yeah. The the night before, I remember speaking to Mike, and I was like, I, I almost, I was in contention at the USPGA earlier in the year in May, and I, I remember just going to bed thinking, oh, you know, i could win the uspga tomorrow like a major championship it was huge and i just didn't play very well and i was playing at 100 miles an hour and i looked back i was playing too fast and all that and then i called mike saturday night before us open final her final round and and uh he was basically saying to me you know you just got to accept that you think you can win but that's great that's absolutely fantastic it was never like Oh, but what if I have a bad round and it was it was the other it was the other way around. I was almost getting too like, I can win, you know, I can totally win this. You gotta accept it, but then you just gotta go out there and just, you know, play your game and see what happens. And, you know, that that's what I felt like I did very, very well.
0: And when you visualize a shot, do you see it as almost like watching it on a screen? So it's external to you, or do you see it? From your own perspective? No,
2: I mean, I see it it like, I just visualise the ball kind of going up as if it's like on a PlayStation game. You You know, I just like with a trail behind, you know, like you see on the TV, that's how I see it going up and yeah.
0: So on that last shot, what was that like?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, on on the last shot, it it was out of the bunker and and I've told the story a lot, but I was terrible out of the fairway bunkers all year and that was the shot that I had and I hit the shot. And I'll just never forget because where we were aiming was like well away from where the ball actually ended up. And I just, I tried to hit the shot where I was, where I was aiming. And I just remember looking up and it was like going towards the flag and I was just like, oh my God, this is like, thank God. Like having such a good shot there. And I kind of played it so quick almost to be like, well, I'm ready, let's just, you know, just get on with it, rather than kind of like, oh, well, but what if this and what if that? And again, it goes back to the commitment. It's like bang, 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 and, and it was and it was obviously great.
1: Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've reached the point of our quick fire questions, Matt. First one is, what are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you should buy into? Uh, work hard, be humble,
2: down to earth, and be honest. Yeah. I don't want anyone, you know, beating around the bush or um, just being a yes yes person, really.
0: What advice would you give to a teenage, Matt?
2: Yeah, just work hard, work smart. Um, I think that work hard has always been a big thing for me. Like, I've always wanted to make sure that I'm I'm working hard, but I think working smart is actually what I've learned more now. Um, Don't necessarily need to hit 500 balls a day. It might be 200, but with much better intensity, you're probably going to get more out of it. So, uh,
1: probably be, yeah, work smart. Would you recommend a book or a podcast or something that you love listening to that helps you? Obviously love
2: listening to you, you boys, the high performance podcast is great. Um, but, um, for me, the, the Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters, that was, um, like I say, I'm C, C minor student according to my coach, but, uh, I think it just is, very good at simplifying how the how the mind works
0: what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and why i'd probably just say you know my
2: my parents just you know telling me to to work hard when i was younger um never been pushy about it just like you know if if you do want to get anywhere like you've you've got to work for it you can't just turn up and, and hope for the best i would probably say that
1: if you could go back to one moment in your life what would be the moment and why right after I've hit the shot
2: on 18 at the US Open. Yeah, I'd love to to relive that uh, that whole day again. Yeah, that would uh, be very, very special.
0: What's your biggest strength and your greatest weakness?
2: Biggest strength, I think, is always trying to pursue greatness and trying to get better. Um, Just every day I'm probably thinking about something to, to try and help me. How can I recover better, play better, think better, anything really. I think that's like my biggest strength is like my drive. I think my biggest weakness is, is probably I get in my own way, um, particularly on the golf course from from maybe a mental side, um, you know, getting too worked up about I'm not playing well, even off the golf course, you know, if I've not had a good week or whatever, or I've not practiced well, um, yeah, I think sometimes I
1: can get in my own way. And finally, your one golden rule for people that have listened to this podcast um, about living a high performance life. Well, yeah,
2: I've said it a lot already, but it, it would be working hard and or working smart. I just think if you don't push yourself to, to try and get better, you know, I don't think you you ever going to get to to where you want. So um, I would have to say that. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Privilege.
1: Damien, Jake. there's so much to pick out of that. I really like the fact that he does, doesn't just accept golf for the way it is and preparation and training for the way it is. He's is looking all the time for those little things that he can do differently to get an edge over his rivals. And I think that is fantastic.
0: Yeah. Do you remember when we interviewed Sean Wayne way back in the start of this whole series? And he had that tattoo on his arm, that Kaizen, that Japanese term mm-hmm. about continuous improvement was at the heart of it matt's the living embodiment of that as a golfer
1: and i love his flexibility as well the way that he looks at things in sort of in very different ways and tries to find his own answer you know he he doesn't seem to me as the kind of person who is going around Well, he admitted it saying to other players how do you do this or how do you solve that he's looking for those answers himself but also he's understood the power of the team and getting the right people around him and i think that's why he is where he is
0: yeah you know it's who's in your locker room are those key moments are so people that, like he said, humility, hard work and the willingness to try new things were the characteristics that he's recruiting for and they're the hallmarks of what he's done in his whole career. You know, we use that phrase with him in the conversation that good is often the enemy of great, that you're making good mm-hmm. money, you're on, the, you're on the tour, you're doing well. The easy thing there is to get complacent and, and almost just let things tick over but his humility and willingness to keep looking for that edge has meant that he was prepared to break things and look for new ideas and that takes courage in its own right for any of us to be willing to throw it up in the air and see what comes
1: down as a consequence and he has the humility he's so humble from the upbringing his parents clearly instilled in him and i feel really excited about his future like he he's at the start almost of his journey i feel
0: yeah, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. That again, this this idea of being willing to go back and do the work, you know. And I think that what was interesting about Matt is something that we don't—I don't, don't think—we talk about enough on the podcast—is the power of patience. Sometimes just accepting mm-hmm. things have to run its course, and it's going to take a while. I think we all want the idea of get, like the get rich quick, be successful overnight. We want to take a change and see that it's implemented right away, and I think. One of the things that he was good at is saying, you just need to allow it to percolate, to sometimes have time. And that was an interesting observation about, he wishes he'd have taken more time after that victory before coming back refreshed a minute
1: go again. I really enjoyed that chat. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it was brilliant. A real privilege. Oh, I really enjoyed that conversation with uh, Matt. You could probably tell the way that Damien and I reflected on it. Um, I would love you to do just one thing for us, please subscribe to High Performance. Honestly, it changes the game for us. You can also watch on YouTube as well. But I think the biggest thing really is just to carry on taking the learnings from this stuff. Keep on coming to these conversations with an open mind. Lead with empathy. Lead with understanding. And just every single day, make sure that your intention is right, as we've just heard from Matt Fitzpatrick. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you for another episode of High Performance very soon.